Hi, it's great to be back. Welcome to the Rebooted Chief Wellbeing Officer podcast. My name is Stephen McGregor. Each month I'm going to try and bring you an interesting case or theme around our goal of making well-being a more strategic concern in the workplace. I hope you'll also like the refresh format. I'm going to try and limit the audio podcast to a maximum of 30 minutes and this will be complemented each month. That's the goal, try and get a case out there each month by a 1,000 word article and a 60 second video clip. Uh, and that'll be published with her, in partnership with our friends at the European Business Review. You can check out the website on the Leadership Academy of Barcelona for more details. And that is www.thelabcn.com slash CWO. So cracking on with this episode, uh, this is the first in a two-parter. We look at the new Happiness at Work initiative at SAP, and we talk in this first episode to Toby Huag, who's the company's first chief happiness officer, about some of his opening actions in the first six months of this global pilot with board support at SAP. So I think this is a fascinating case to kick off the new Chief Wellbeing Officer podcast. I hope you enjoyed the discussion. I'm going to talk more in episode two about what's been happening with me and, and the lab in the past four or five months. Uh, and don't forget to check out the article and the video clip, which is going to distill some of these main points if you can't make it through listening to 30 minutes of a podcast. Keep well, amigos. Hi, Toby. Welcome to the Chief Wellbeing Officer podcast. Hi, nice to be here. So we are here in the SAP, the new SAP offices in, in Barcelona, near, near Barcelona Beach. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've been a couple of months now on a very interesting initiative. Can you tell us a little bit about what, the journey that you're on? Yep. Well, it actually started about 14 years ago when I first joined SAP in Germany. Now I get to move to the beautiful city of Barcelona and uh, overlook the, the beach. But the journey here was actually quite long. Uh, I've been leading design, design thinking, and innovation teams for the last 14 years. Um, and as you probably know yourself, because you have a very similar background, design is all about people. It's about how do people use objects. And in my case, within SAP, is how do we use the software? When design thinking came into, onto the world stage. And Hazo Plotner, one of the founders of SAP, also very early on supported it externally, but also internally. Started also a new journey of innovation within SAP, where design became really about a collaboration. How do people work together? What methods? How do you, um, you know, what, what principles are at play? And it really became about the team, leveraging design thinking. And that really took on many different forms within the global organization. And I had the, the uh, benefit of, of working, learning, and supporting that journey within SAP for many years. We started taking that experience externally, and that's where my role also changed dramatically. Because all of a sudden, it wasn't about design. It wasn't about the output. It wasn't even about design thinking about the teamwork. It became really about innovation. And when we talk about innovation on a bigger journey, it really becomes one uh, a story about culture. Really, how does the entire corporation work? Where does it place its its uh, uh, its values? What does it recognize? How does it wish to to be seen internally and externally? And that really becomes a very systemic and uh, uh, discussion. So. 
when my job became more about the culture, something then after five years of running what is now the App House team in, in Europe, um, was the same time when the SAP board was taking a closer look at our culture, our own corporate culture, and which was had many benefits, but also needs to be uh, cultivated, needs to have attention, needs to be talked about and, and, and uh, always further developed, plus a business unit located here in Barcelona, but also in Dublin and Cairo called Commercial Sales, um, was very interested in becoming a pilot for this. So that's my journey to get to Barcelona. And what I'm actually doing is I'm running uh, something called the Happiness at Work initiative, and I'm piloting the role of happiness officer within SAP. Yeah, it's fascinating. Um, and looking at you know the importance of, 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 of culture and happiness within that, is, what have you found so far? Because you know, tracing it back, we had a meeting before the summer uh, in Soho House, Barcelona, and you're talking about your plans, mm-hmm. and you're talking about the importance mm-hmm. of cultivating this culture, and you're talking about the the idea of 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 you know piloting the happiness officer role. Um, how how has that gone the first couple of months? Has it been successful? What, what, what's happened? <laughs> yes, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's finished. No, I'm kidding. Of course not. It's uh, it's been an amazing journey. It's been quite uh, eye opening. Um, the team here has been extremely accepting, extremely open for change. Um, at the same time, I don't think I think I underestimated the dimensions that coming into a new culture entails. I had always had been lucky enough to start my own teams, set it up and set the cultural norms from the beginning. And now I'm coming into a very fast moving, moving very target, dy- yeah. Yeah, moving yeah. target, lots of people, uh, lots of experiences. How can I come in and still, on one hand, um, be respectful of what is already running, but also guide it into a new, uh, into a direction that the board is really seeing as future proof uh, for SAP's culture as well. Um, and I'll add a, another dimension to it. We're talking about culture as if it's one thing. It's obviously not. And so one of the challenges that I've experienced is even though I have come in with a title, Chief Happiness Officer, which causes a lot of people to raise their eyebrows and scratch their heads and wonder if I'm walking around the office with a red nose and making jokes all day, I've had to overcome that and really make sure that people understand culture is not about me. Culture is about us. And culture is about the everyday behaviors that set the cultural norms and what can we actually do to make sure that this is not a topic that is just high-level PowerPoints, lip service, uh, great-sounding speeches. That's not my purpose. SAP actually has a history of creating programs, global programs, around health and well-being. Um, Quite interesting. We have a a head of global health and well-being that really looks holistically at not just the physical well-being, but also the mental well-being, as well as the organizational well-being. Um, So very many different dimensions. In fact, we're one of these companies that actually measures that every year and puts it in our financial statements. It's in our annual report out to all our shareholders. Where is our corporate culture, the health of that corporate culture, and also what's the financial impact of that metric? So SAP takes it very seriously, and there's a lot of interesting things going on. But I also want to be 
honest that I think like many large global organizations, there's a gap between what is offered and what actually happens. So my role is much more feet on the ground, working with teams, working with leadership, um, working with uh, uh, the dynamics that are happening every day to take those offerings, to really work on the behavioral aspects, to make sure that what we're looking at is, is sustainable, long-term, not just a quick fix, not just another, um, uh, another initiative that gets pushed through. We're really looking at how can we bring that to the last mile. Yeah. I mean, the whole organizational well-being is, is fascinating. Um, you know, McKinsey have had their organizational health index for a number of years and mm-hmm. tried to link that to the, the financial health of a company, right, mm-hmm. in terms of learning. And yeah. a lot of the things that we know health and well-being in its purest sense impact on, but which many companies aren't really convinced of. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm curious, you know, if you have this background in health and well-being, um, about the choice. I know and it, we've talked about this before we started recording. We shouldn't just be pigeonholed with the title. Mm-hmm. But was there a lot of debate on the using the word ha- happiness? You know, you have health well-being there already. Mm-hmm. So, so that in one respect, and maybe a simpler question that I have to ask, <laughs> you know, to be a happiness officer, do you need to be a happy person? Yes. Well, I'll, I'll start with that one first. To be honest, I think happiness does start on the individual level. Um, so... I can work programmatically, I can try to encourage certain behaviors, but if people don't feel it from myself, if I'm not taking care of myself, if I'm not a good example, like any leadership position without thinking hierarchically, I'm talking about personal leadership in the sense that if if you're not living or walking the walk. It's that authenticity, right? That credibility. So I do tend, like some people have tendencies to to be more... uh, to be happier, and I think I'm one of those personalities. Um, but of course, I'm a normal person like everyone else with ups and downs. And I think well, this is the thing, right? Because I mean, we, and, and I guess this is the pressure when we're a leader. You have to set an example, mm-hmm. especially if you're trying to lead and, and, and show good energy. There's that pressure on the Monday morning for the yeah. crappy weekend. You know, things are happening in your personal life. There's a little bit. If you felt a little bit more of that pressure in the last couple of months, like, hey, I'm, I'm piloting this this role of a happiness officer, are you more no, conscious no, of no, your no. smile or no. frown on well, a, during the week? So I am. I've always been conscious about smiling as an extremely powerful tool to set a tone. Walking into the office, it it, but it's natural for me. It does not feel faked, even if I'm I'm somewhat more under pressure. But you said it yourself. The word pilot. I'm running a pilot. People know I'm running a pilot. I'm very obvious, uh, open about the fact that I'm running a pilot. That means, for me, it takes the pressure off. I don't have to be perfect the first time. I can stumble. Other people will help me pick me up. We'll learn together. We'll keep moving forward. To, we'll keep learning together. So that takes a lot of that pressure off, uh, which I'm very grateful for. But I'll also come back to your other question. Yes, the title happiness is loaded. And if I'm honest about it, I would expect that the title happiness gets uh, adapted uh, to something that's perhaps a little bit more mature over the next, uh, over the phase of this this pilot, the next one to two years. It started off with happiness and it makes a great marketing. Like people look at it, people hear it, it starts a conversation that we can then get deeper into. Makes people listen. It does make people listen. But I'm also very conscious about the um, 
uh, impact of a title. A title can make things feel like that person is, is in charge of something. And so, as I said before, one of the main concerns is how do we get all of us to take responsibility, to feel ownership about our culture, our behavior every single day on all levels and in all directions. And so I consciously am not leveraging the title because I don't want people to think Toby's going to do this for us. Yeah, 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 yeah. As if their whole happiness or self-worth in life is yes. tied up in Toby. In, in, in Toby yeah. Um, no, it's fascinating. And even when you mentioned the, the, the fact that it is a pilot, that, that fits perfectly with the design thinking experience and approach that you on an individual level and, and the company and organizational level so clearly, clearly have. Um, let, let's let's turn our attention to another couple of things. So, you know, you've taken me around today, and that's, that's been a fascinating experience just walking around. Um, how did the physical space come? I mean, obviously, you've got architects involved, and um, uh, and and you have different needs uh, from 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 different uh, units within the business. Can you just tell us a little bit about the physical design? Yeah. So, I think the most important part uh, is also leveraging. What I and we learned in the running the app house teams within SAP, which very much leverage space, the psychological effects of space to moderate behavior. Uh, in that case, it was um, very much about uh, innovation. So we really created spaces that encourage people to relax, you know, to become uh, interact in a more natural level to let the ideas flow. Here, the space. Uh, it was this is a sales organization, and the, the way they need to use space had to highly support their way of working. So from the very beginning, we involved the team on all levels about what does that space actually mean? What should it look like? What are the needs of the organization? Form follows function. Form follows function. Um, and it, the interesting moment for me was once we had the space, or once, once we had the, the, the architectural plans, and you, at some point you get to the nitty-gritty of who is sitting where. And so we had a meeting with all the management teams to talk about how are we going to create these neighborhoods of the different teams. And what we ended up talking about was how, do this or, how does this organization actually work together? How do people want to work together? And how can the space support that type of interaction? It was fascinating and something that I think we need to do more and more of. <laughs> Um, the next part, which we're going to start uh, quite soon, is every team has a budget to actually personalize their space. And I think that's psychologically incredibly important because uh, on, on different levels, we spend more time in our office than we do in our living rooms, and yet they're the least personalized uh, spaces that we, that we actually enter into. We need to change that. We also need to have people feel ownership for their space. So if, if I, you know toss this, this cup of water onto the floor, I, if I don't feel like it belongs to me, I'll wait till, for somebody else to pick it up. If it's my space, if I feel ownership for it, I'll go get something, a mop, and clean it up myself. And we need more of that. So that's going to be the next step uh, in personalizing the space. But we see this throughout many companies, throughout SAP, um, the use uh, and, and individualization of spaces um, takes a step even beyond let's give it into the hands of an architect that says something cool and creative because what happens is people come into a space and it feels like you've walked into the architectural digest. You don't feel like it's your space. So we need to get beyond that and really make it personal. 
And I think that's key because what we're seeing in a lot of new office designs is that it often does get bogged down in the open um, plan or, mm-hmm. or V-close pod um, um, argument, right? And, and, and people, and even, you know, the Apple Spaceship Campus, right? Mm-hmm. The engineers complaining about lack of privacy. Mm-hmm. And what I've seen here is that there very much is a lot of options. Um, and, and, and people, you know, they have their own space perhaps, but, you know, even talking to other c- companies before and, and problems related to lack of of ownership in their own space, for example, if hot desking was mm-hmm. the was the was the means of doing it. So I think even giving them empowerment and ownership in terms of designing their own neighbourhood, you know, budgeting that, it gets over any problems with lack of privacy that yeah. people then you know, you know, a very common complaint that we get when we have this type of design, right? Yes, yes. Um, I'm, I'm going to add one aspect to it now, kind of going from that example to something quite systematic, something quite large. Uh, we talked about uh, before slightly uh, shortly about the change management principle of chaotic systems, meaning there are probably only about three aspects that you can influence, but you cannot determine the outcome. So different change management uh, style than some sort of top-down programmatic, where you're looking for attractors. So you're looking for things that really show a positive behavior, something that you want to encourage. Um, you can also influence uh, how those things are perceived through um, uh, how you promote those. Um, the last one is, so you have attractors, you have promoters, um, and the last one are the boundary conditions. Now, going back to the space, this is a type of behavior we hope to see more of, this type of ownership. And using space, giving, owner, giving each team budget, giving them ownership is an example of one of the principles that we're looking to drive in our future culture, which is empowerment, ownership, uh, responsibility. So now here we've created a situation where people, um, where we're creating a pocket of ownership. We are going to create stories about it. We're going to highlight the interesting things that people are going to be doing with their spaces, the personalization aspect. So we're going to, uh, we have an attractor, we have the, the promoter um, through, through communication, um, and we hope to be able to actually influence this within other parts of SAP. So broaden the boundary conditions that more and more of our colleagues in different locations can also start uh, working in their spaces similar to, similarly to what we're doing here. Yeah, and as, as you touched on earlier, when you talk about the space utilization, it quickly goes into aspects of collaboration and just how do we work. Yeah. And that just drives a much richer conversation about how we work and how we get results. Yes. Um, inevitably, there would have been, I guess, conflict when you give that amount of, of ownership to people. Mm-hmm. Does that just have to emerge and you let them sort that out and they, they, they reach consensus at some point? <laughs> or how does that go? It, I think that's, that's somewhat of a tricky question. Um, two things. I think that conflict is always there. It's been there and it was in the back of people's head and would have been shown, if you don't address it, if you don't give it a stage, would have been shown uh, through, through behaviors later on. So these tensions, we're giving, we're giving it an early stage to be discussed. Yeah. Now, in this case, the tensions around space, we did have to move things along because we had to move in, we had to make some decisions. So given that boundary condition, um, we surfaced some of the tensions, we talked about it. We also uh, allowed for the fact that we'll monitor in, and uh, make adjustments in the next six months. Mm-hmm. So 
it lowered the boundary, the, the, the critical uh, effects uh, of a decision, so we could move forward quicker. Uh, so it was still, I don't want to say consensus, not 100% consensus, but enough where we said this was the best, uh, the best option given the time frame, and we're going to adjust and iterate in the next six months. It's part of the principles of adaptive leadership, right? That you let um, conflict emerge mm-hmm. in order just to kind of move forward. It's better getting that uh, out in the open early, yeah. so to speak. Because it's there anyways. Yeah. Um, the demographic, just quickly, I mean, does that help? It's quite a young... Um, <laughs> so how many people are here in, in, in the Barcelona office? So my initiative actually goes over three locations in three cultures. The biggest one is here in Barcelona. The next one is Dublin. And then also in Cairo. Um Talking about this as an organization with all the, the people working together, we're looking at about 400 people. Um, the demographics for this organization astounded me because of the 400, roughly 96% are millennials. Now, and I, I really do not believe in the whole stereotypes of millennials. I don't even want to get into that. But it just shows the very youthful population and a, a population that is ready to try something new, I think is very much closer to the emerging demands of the next wave of our, uh, of our workforce. Um, and it gives us the perfect opportunity to actually pilot a lot of these principles. Um, and, and also, these are the people that we expect to continue their careers throughout all of SAP and become the next emerging leaders of the SAP Salesforce. So if we do it right here, if we run this pilot, we get certain behaviors, uh, create a certain culture that they then spread throughout all of SAP globally. I think we've done a huge step uh, for SAP strategically as well. Yeah. No, it's fascinating because it is a company that has been very successful. Um, but I think you're very aware also that there has to be, uh, uh, what's the next step in terms mm-hmm. of, of, of growth and just having that edge yes. and talent attraction is one of those big, yes. big and things. Right? Don't forget, I would say this is one of the hidden benefits of being a software company. We don't produce physical objects. Our asset is in the minds of people. It's in the skills, the behavior. Our culture is one of our strongest competitive advantages. Um, and so it's something that SAP very much takes a close look at. And I'll also, I, I come originally from the US, and I moved to Germany to the headquarters at SAP 15 years ago. And I could directly compare the type of corporate culture that I've seen in many of the U.S. companies, given the U.S. Uh, environment. I mean, negatively said it's higher and fire, positively said it's a mutually flexible agreement between the employer and the employee. In Germany, there is something that I feel has gotten lost in the U.S. There's loyalty. People, the company takes care of the people, the people take care of the company. And for me, the most amazing instance was, what was it, 2010, the 2009, 2010, the worldwide financial crisis. The employees at SAP were giving back their vacation days so that the company wouldn't have to fire other people. They were coming up with creative ideas of how to save money, how to do things differently. There's such a proactivity. So there's There's an amazing culture already at SAP. I think that has a lot to do with it being uh, originally a German company, Mm. now European company. It's, um, uh, and we're building on that. But like you said, it's something that we always take it as a strategic uh, priority because it's about our customers and we can only have 
happy customers if we have happy employees first. Yeah. They're the ones that represent the company, and they're the ones that overcome any of the new emerging challenges that come uh, from from out of nowhere. It's interesting you you say that 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 commitment and loyalty. You know, the World Happiness Report. Um, last year at least talked about how happiness in general is increasing mm-hmm. in organizations but levels of engagement are still are still yes. low yes uh, and they're looking at what what can we do to improve that mm-hmm. that engagement and it seems that yeah maybe you're in a you're in a good position to build <laughs> um, on, on top of the core that you that you have there right um, behavior is a big thing um, what, what are you measuring so I mean behavior change are you, are you looking uh, observable behaviors just now and, and, and just more generally what, what's the plans going ahead yeah so again please take this all with a grain of salt because this is a pilot and uh, would love any feedback to make it better um, what I'm aiming for are three types of cultural behaviors the and, and you, you can always be right or wrong about groupings but so this is the way I'm starting the first one is about success not only do we want to be successful as a company, but individuals want to be successful, and that really drives, it's, it's one of the principles of happiness, is also the feeling of, of success and mastery. Um, we're giving it a slightly second dimension. We're saying sustainable success. So it's especially in the sales force, it's not about just the next number, the next quarter. It's really about something sustainable, which also brings in the aspect that it becomes human. The second thing, uh, types of behaviors we're looking for are behaviors that richen, strengthen relationships. And that's, again, proven uh, as, as one of the second strong pillars of, of happiness is strong relationships. So internal and external? Internal or? and external. Um, and where we're adding, again, a little layer to that, we're saying authentic relationships. We want really to people, we want to create a culture and an environment where people can be their authentic selves. So SAP, once again, has many programs around diversity, around um, pride, equality, expressing yourself. But how do we translate that into an everyday behavior? And that's where a lot of the things also which you've written about in your book around mindfulness, uh, finding your own authentic self, being able to react out of your best intent and not just out of trigger reactions in stressful situations. And those behaviors create a dynamic where people build trust, can be themselves, and really feel like they can rely on each other and that, in the end of the day, is, is a relationship. The third level, so we have the, the sustainable success, we have authentic relationships, and the last one um, is empowered work. Like any big global organization, we run into the problem of scale. We have uh, we're a big company doing many different things, and there's different hierarchies and groups and teams that, uh, that work together. And to counterbalance the natural effects of, of processes and hierarchical thinking, we're really putting a focus on, um, on empowerment and all the behaviors that that means. And there, there's some really concrete things that we can do to start motivating a change in empowerment. I can tell a few if you're interested. But in general, sure. instead of pushing information upwards, we really want to get the decision-making power downwards. And one example of that, for instance, um, I mean, well, this is more radical form, but in the app house, we got to a point in our culture where management, the managers were selected by the team themselves. Mm-hmm. 
one doesn't need to jump straight to something perhaps that radical for a global organization. But even if you take the small step that a team has a strong voice in deciding who the next manager is. And by strong voice, I mean very often you'll see, oh, you'll have one or two people from the team involved in the, in, the, um, uh, in the selection. But at the end of the day, it's the manager's manager that makes the final decision. So when I say strong voice, I mean it is just as equally valid as the manager's. Now, you do that. You make that the norm. You do it a few times. Then people will see, hey, I'm in this team, and if I wish to become a manager, my team will help decide if I'm selected. That means I'm already going to show leadership behavior, helping other people, strategic thinking, collaboration, um, surfacing tensions. I'm going to already going to start acting the part. It's a true 360, it's, right? It's absolutely. The, absolutely. And that influences just that one decision to strongly involve teams in, in selecting their managers creates a change in behavior that starts a whole new dynamic of collaboration and leadership. That's great. As an example. Yeah. So this is a pilot and, um, you know, a lot of the things that we're talking about, we could, we could link to a lot of the discussion uh, currently on agile ways of working, you know, yes. empowerment, yep. um, ownership, um, you know, humility, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, or even, you know, just design thinking. I think a lot of agile ways of working has taken over from mm -hmm. design. We're both designers. Yes. Uh, and, and so if we're thinking about what you're using from your design thinking toolbox, mm -hmm. um, is there anything you can tell us there? Any experiments that you guys are running or what's happening there? Well, there's one very important one that we're doing. And just like most design and uh, starts with research, observing, listening, involving. And what we're doing is we're taking, we're leveraging one of the common uh, design methodologies called customer journey mapping, which really comes out of the service design industry, looking at how customers interact with a company, a service, a product through its entire lifetime and mapping that. Uh, we're using that methodology and we have a, a great um, fellow working on this to interview um, the employees about their employee journey and to create an employee journey map using the same methodology, but really listening to them about what their experiences truly are. So this is research, it's not pie in the sky the way it should be. It's really listening to the individuals. How was their very first experience with SAP? How was their hiring process? How was their first day on the job, the first week? How is their career and their growth path uh, being perceived? But also not just from a um, intellectual exercise, but also physically mapping this out so it's also expressing their emotional uh, states. So all these touch points is touch points with the organization. Now we're doing that with many people in Barcelona, visualizing it, creating a framework that we can discuss with, with our management team. But then we're also going to do it for the teams in Cairo and then in Dublin as well. So then we also see what the various, uh, the variations are in the journeys in the different, uh, different locations. So that sounds really fascinating, Toby, you know, wishing you the best in that and hoping we've got many, many more conversations going ahead. Thanks very so. much today. Thank you. Mm -hmm.